Good evening. How's everybody doing tonight? Well, you can open in your Bibles to the book of Second Chronicles in chapter 32, where we'll be this evening. We went through quite a few chapters last week as we attempted to address a lot concerning the history of King Hezekiah and his reign over Judah. But this evening, we are going to continue talking about the reign of Hezekiah. However, we're not going to cover as much material because we want to focus in on some very practical lessons from the life and the reign of King Hezekiah of Judah. And so, we'll be in chapter 32, and just I think all we're going to try to take is uh, maybe verses 1 through 23. But let's open in a word of prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, thank you for the time of worship we enjoyed this evening, and thank you for your word. We ask that you would, as always, be glorified in our lives. Lord, we ask that as we open our hearts to you, you would address those issues in our lives that need addressing, and touch our hearts and speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. Give us the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding that comes from respecting and reverencing you. And Lord, as we open your word, may we learn how to win our battles, that you might work through us and give us the victory according to your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's start by actually looking at a scripture that's parallel. I'll, I'll read some of these parallel passages tonight because uh, there's so much in Second Kings, which is the companion book to Second Chronicles here. There's so much here that we don't really want to miss. I'm not going to read all of it, but certain selections from the parallel passage have information that's not in Second Chronicles. Remember that Second Kings was written much earlier. It was written as a documentation of the reigns of the kings of Israel and Judah, and it was presented to us. But it was that record and other records that Ezra the scribe, we believe, took and compiled years later, many years later, when the children of Israel made their way back to the land of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. So Second Kings was designed really to rebuke and confront the people. Uh, it was more of a prophetic book, if you will, a book of prophets, whereas the book of Second Chronicles was a book that was written by a priest. And so it was written to encourage the people. So some of the things that are written in this book are tailored to that theme. But all of it helps us to understand the reign of Hezekiah. So we'll start by looking at a a parallel passage in 2 Kings. I'm going to read uh, just 18, 2 Kings 18, verses 7 and 8, gets us started here. We read there that, and the Lord was with Hezekiah, and he was successful in whatever he undertook. And then we learn he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. So you remember under King Ahaz, Uh, the nation had really surrendered its sovereignty to the Assyrian Empire because Ahaz looked to Assyria for help. King Hezekiah was not pro-Assyrian. He was anti-Assyrian. And then he followed those policies and was a part of that group of people in Israel, or Judah at the time, that that strongly believed that they should rebel against this empire. But you see, saying that is one thing, actually living that is another, because things were difficult. It was a difficult time in the kingdom. We learn there that he successfully stood up against the enemies of the Lord and his people. It takes a very brave leader to do that. 
And he did that. He refused to serve the Assyrians to whom his father Ahaz had pledged his loyalty. He rebelled. And he joined an alliance. He joined an alliance with uh, cities and and city-states such as Tyre, uh, Egypt, Ashkelon, and Ekron. And they all came together to resist Assyria. And this took place shortly after a man by the name of Sennacherib had succeeded his father Sargon as king of Assyria. So this was a time of transition, a time of weakness, and they decided no more. The pledge for tribute had been made to the previous king, and now that the kings had changed, Hezekiah was a new king as well. He said, no, we're not going to do it anymore. We're not going to pay you tribute. We want to be independent. And so he even rebelled against the Philistines, which was Judah's ancient enemy to the west. So this man decided to stand up for his kingdom and refused to be subservient to other nations. So the northern kingdom of Israel at this time, remember you have the southern kingdom of Judah, you have the northern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel had always been led by ungodly kings, but the northern kingdom was really dominated at this point by Assyria. They were closer to Assyria, to the north. And we read in chapter 18 of 2 Kings in verse 9 and through 12, we learn what happened there. Uh, So I'm going to just read that for you, too, just sort of setting the stage here. We learn that in Hezekiah's fourth year, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, marched against Samaria and laid siege to it. And at the end of three years, the Assyrians took it. So Samaria was captured in Hezekiah's sixth year, which was the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel. The king of Assyria deported Israel to Assyria and settled them in Hala, in Gozan, on the Haber River, and in the towns of the Medes. And this happened because they had not obeyed the Lord their God, but had violated his covenant. All that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they neither listened to the commands nor carried them out. And so at this point, though we don't talk much about the northern kingdom of Israel in the book of Second Chronicles, for it's the chronicles of the kings of Judah, uh, we find out in Second Kings chapter 18 in these verses that it was at this point that the northern kingdom uh, was destroyed, was taken over by the Assyrians. And that happened in 722 B.C. They were attacked by this man, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, because they refused to pay him tribute. And Shalmaneser completely conquered the kingdom of Israel, completely conquered it, and he destroyed it. He laid siege to their capital city, Samaria, for about 14 months. It was one whole year and part of two other years before it finally fell. And then he took the people of Israel into captivity and deported them to Assyria, brought other nations and brought them to Israel. They would take people and transfer them from one place to another. They would repopulate areas to prevent the people from raising or rising up against the emperor. And this was their policy. So the Lord allowed the kingdom of Israel to be destroyed for their many sins, their sins against God. And this allowed the Assyrians to gather right at the border of Judah without a buffer, for the, border, the northern border of Judah was the southern border of Israel. And Assyria's victory caused Judah to greatly fear for their kingdom and for their lives. So now they're in a state of uh, concern. I mean, they really are concerned. What's going to happen to us next? They've just taken over the northern kingdom of Israel, our brothers, the other tribes. uh, And now here we are in the south, Hezekiah is probably thinking, and we're in trouble. We're, We're under threat now. And then we learn that the king of Assyria invaded Judah and laid siege to the fortified cities in order to conquer them. In fact, we learn that in the first verse of our text this evening, 
In, in Second Chronicles chapter 32, it says, After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. So sure enough, their threat is at their doorstep. And now Hezekiah is going to have to deal with this threat of the Assyrian Empire. They haven't taken over yet, but they're causing problems on his northern border. And they conquered. And then we go back to the parallel passage for just a second. We see that the kingdom of Judah was at this time forced to pay tribute to Assyria after refusing to serve them. So they had to go back to paying them tribute because the threat was great on their northern border. And actually Hezekiah was buying time so that he could resist. And so we read back in our parallel passage of 2 Kings chapter 18 in verses 13 through 16. And I want to read that. 18, 13 through 16. We read in the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign. So this is 10 years after what we talked about earlier, after the, the, the time that the Assyrians started to attack and take over the northern kingdom of Israel. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah, and he captured them. So they started to lose uh, territory. So Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent this message to the king of Assyria, Lachish, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me, and I will pay whatever you demand of me. <clears throat> The king of Assyria exacted from Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. At this time, Hezekiah, king of Judah, stripped off the gold with which he had covered the doors and doorposts of the temple of the Lord and gave it to the king of Assyria. That's pretty sad, uh, but you might be thinking, well, why would he do this? Well, he knows he's going to have to resist this empire. And he's not prepared and he's not ready. By paying tribute, he buys himself a few years. He, pay, he pays him and he, and he gives himself a little time. And, and he prepares for battle, which is exactly what we'll see in just a minute. The king of Assyria had finally invaded Judah. And the prophet Isaiah had predicted this in chapter 36, verse 1 of the book of Isaiah. And the alliance that he had made, that is Hezekiah, with Tyre, Egypt, Ashkelon, and Ekron, had been compromised and defeated, so they really couldn't resist at this time. And Hezekiah attempted to buy Judah that time to prepare for war. Now, what he did was humble himself, paid what they demanded, forced to undo the recent repairs made to the doors of the Lord's temple. But he's hedging his bet. He's thinking, if I can buy myself a little time, we can defeat this enemy once and for all. And he wisely used this time to prepare Jerusalem for the inevitable final siege. And back in our text in Second Chronicles, in verse 2 of chapter 32, we read that when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he had intended to make war on Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city. And they helped him. A large force of men assembled, and they blocked all the springs and the stream that flowed through the land. Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. Then he worked hard, repairing all of the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it, and he built another wall outside that one and reinforced the supporting terraces of the city of David. And he also made large numbers of weapons and shields. And he appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before him in the square at the city gate and encouraged them with these words, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. But with him is only the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us 
and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. Imagine being encouraged and gaining confidence from your leader. That is a good thing, right? We haven't experienced that in a while. So it's interesting to see that in a nation where a king stands up, and because of a speech, because of something he says to the people, he inspires them to have confidence in the Lord and to have confidence in their strength. So later, when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and all of his forces were laying siege to Lachish, he sent officers to Jerusalem with this message for Hezekiah, king of Judah, and for all the people of Judah who were there. And we'll get into that message in just a bit, but he's, he's, he's going to send a message. He's going he's to try to intimidate them. But before we do, just a few things I want to mention. Notice what he did. He wisely used this time to prepare Jerusalem for the inevitable final siege. What did he do? He secured the city's water supply. He constructed the remarkable Siloam Tunnel from the spring of Gihon, which if you've been to Jerusalem and you've toured that site, I have not, but if you have, you know it's a feat of engineering. It's an incredible tunnel that was dug to bring the water into the city and not allow your enemies besieging the city to have access to a precious resource, which would empower them and enable them to endure a longer siege. Well, he secured the city's military defenses and encouraged the military forces to trust in the Lord. And then we see that the king of Assyria used his officials to intimidate Hezekiah and the kingdom of Judah. This is taking place in 701 BC. So it's been uh, 21 years since the northern kingdom fell. So they've managed to stay independent by paying certain amounts of tribute. They've managed to stay a free and independent nation. But those days are numbered. And soon Assyria is going to conquer Jerusalem if they don't respond. So what did he do? He sent personal messengers to instill fear in the people themselves. And I want to read verses 9 through verse 19. Uh, yeah, we'll get, we'll get all the way through 19. This is interesting. Uh, you start to see, and there's a lot more written in chapters 18 and 19 in Second Kings. But for this evening, let's just look at what's written here. It says, Later when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and all his forces were laying siege to Lachish, he sent his officers to Jerusalem with this message for Hezekiah, king of Judah, and for all the people of Judah who were there. This is what Sennacherib, king of Assyria, says. So this is his message. On what are you basing your confidence that you remain in Jerusalem under siege? So they had already started surrounding the city. When Hezekiah says, the Lord our God will save us from the hand of the king of Assyria, he is misleading you to let you die of hunger and thirst. Did not Hezekiah himself remove this God's high places, which of course isn't true, an altar saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before one altar and burn sacrifices on it? Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the other lands? Were the gods of those nations ever able to deliver their land from my hand? Who of all the gods of those nations, or these nations, that my fathers destroyed has been able to save his people from me? How then can your God deliver you from my hand? Now do not let Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you like this. Do not believe him, for no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? Sennacherib's officers spoke further against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. The king also wrote letters insulting the Lord and the God of Israel, saying this against him, just as the gods of the peoples of the other lands did not rescue their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not rescue his people from my hand. Then they called out in Hebrew, 
to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to terrify them and make them afraid in order to capture the city. They spoke about the God of Jerusalem as they did about the gods of the other peoples of the world, world, the work of men's hands. So you see, this was now a targeted campaign of intimidation. They knew they weren't going to receive any more tribute. They figured if they could intimidate them to surrender or pay tribute, they'd save themselves a lot of time and resources. But this time they had King Hezekiah encouraging them to stand strong. And so the people did, as we'll see. Now what this whole thing of uh, intimidation brings out is many of the times when we're being attacked by the enemy, our enemy Satan, he will use fear and intimidation to get us to do something other than what God has called us to do. It almost always starts with fear and intimidation. Because if you'll just sort of bow, if you'll just sort of cowardly say, I'm not interested in trusting God, I'll just surrender to the enemy, why should he even bring anything against you? If you'll surrender, why should he even attack you? So many of us surrender without a fight. And that's what they were hoping. That's what the uh, Assyrians were hoping. That's what Satan was hoping. But that's not what happened. In fact... As he sent these personal messengers to instill fear in the people themselves, Hezekiah continued to encourage the people. He sought, that is, the the king of Assyria sought to separate the people of Judah from the Lord their God. And that is something that Satan will always seek to do, separate you from your God. One of the things he did, and I want to look at some of the attack here that was uh, the tactic of the enemy and how he tried to discourage the people. And I want us to relate that to ourselves living in the day in which we live and recognize the same tactics the enemy used then is this, are the same tactics that he uses today. For example, as I said, he sought to separate the people of Judah from the Lord their God. The very first thing he did is he questioned their confidence in themselves and in others. He questioned their confidence Oh, he would say, you have no winning strategy. You don't have the necessary strength. And again, if you look at 2 Kings chapter 18, you can see much more of the excerpt of this letter. I encourage you to read it this week. He told them they couldn't depend on Egypt because they were not a dependable nation. And that was probably very true. But Hezekiah was trusting in the Lord. He wasn't trusting in the Pharaoh of Egypt. These guys got their facts wrong. But still, they tried with what information they had to discourage the people. They were trusting in the Lord, and this was in obedience to the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. At this time, when Hezekiah was king of Judah, the prophet Isaiah was writing down his prophecies and declaring his prophecies to this nation and encouraging them to trust the Lord. The kingdom of Israel was destroyed for depending on Egypt in 722 BC. And it's one thing to know, and you need to know this, the enemy will point to our weaknesses and the weakness of those around us, and try to question our confidence in our God and and in others. And if you don't think this is true, think about how Satan went after Jesus in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 4. When I read that, I realize this is all about questioning Jesus's confidence. Of course, it was not effective, but he tried. In the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, This is what Satan said. Look at verse uh, 4. Well, you don't have to go there, but when we read in chapter 4, verse 4, I'll read it for you. It says this in verse 3, actually. 
The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, there's that question, questioning that confidence. If you are the son of God, he might say to us, if you belong to the son of God. But he says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus victoriously answered, it is written man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so clearly Jesus responded to the enemy in the proper way. Do we? When Satan is questioning our confidence in God, we need to respond, it is written. We, it is written. And we, we can say, listen, we can trust the word of God. We can trust in the promises of our God. And that's essentially what Jesus said to the tempter or Satan. So when he questions your confidence in God, when he points to your weakness and the weakness of those around you, Go to the Word of God. Quote the Word of God. Quote the promises of the Word of God as it relates to God being trustworthy and God being faithful. Amen? What else did the enemy do here with Hezekiah? Well, he questioned their confidence, not just in themselves and in others. He questioned their confidence in the Lord. And if you read it, uh, we read it already when he talks about, you know, you're trusting in, in, in the God of Hezekiah? Well, you're trusting in the God of Hezekiah. I mean, you... He would say things like, you haven't been serving the Lord. You've actually been offending the Lord. You can't depend on God because you haven't been obedient. He was questioning their faithfulness to God. See, when Hezekiah and all of Judah were destroying the high places, they were actually obeying the Lord, not offending him. But they only knew a little bit. They had a little intel. And they learned that Hezekiah and the the kingdom of Judah had destroyed places of worship. They assumed that they were destroying places of worship that were approved by God. They were actually destroying the places of worship that were disapproved by God. But what are the Assyrians now? They're just trying to question. So many times the enemy will lie to us and say, look what you were doing there. You weren't obeying God. You've offended God. They'll cause us to question our confidence in God. They'll try to. They had actually destroyed all the pagan idols and the altars within Judah. And sometimes we do what God is calling us to do, and the enemy comes along and questions, and we start to think, well, maybe I wasn't serving God. Maybe I wasn't supposed to go on that missions trip. Maybe I wasn't supposed to serve in that ministry, you know? If we listen to Satan, we'll get confused. We'll we'll start to question our confidence in God. Listen, the enemy will try to confuse us, to shake our trust in the Lord. And he tried to do that to Jesus as well. Not just question his confidence in himself and his relationship with the Father, But he also, Satan, tried to question Jesus' confidence in God and his power and his ability and his promises. And we see that in Matthew's gospel. I'll read it for you. Uh, When the tempter came, we learn in Matthew 4, verse 5, it says, Then the devil took him to a holy city, to the holy city, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Now notice, he's trying to confuse him and sort of get him to, to lose confidence in his father. He says, if you are, notice the if, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. Now he uses the word of God inappropriately. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him again victoriously. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, Satan didn't realize or maybe wasn't aware of Jesus' ability to quote the word of God in victory over his temptations. But he found out awfully quick. 
I suggest you follow the same strategy that Jesus used in the wilderness. When Satan was pointing to Jesus' weakness as a man, his hunger, his thirst, what did Jesus do? Jesus quoted the word of God and his trust in the, in the word of God and also certainly in God himself. And when the enemy tried to confuse Jesus and shake his resolve, his trust in the Lord, that he didn't need to prove anything, he didn't need to test God, Jesus quoted the word of God. You should not test the Lord your God. And every time Satan failed when Jesus quoted the word of God as the living word of God. We can do the same, though, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? John told us that in 1 John. So we know that's true. So one of the other things we see here that the enemy that faced the the Jews and Hezekiah, the Assyrians did, and again, it's the same Satan, just using the same tactics with a different group of people. Oh, by the way, I could look at today's world and all the wicked people in our world today and say it's the same Satan using the same tactics in a different situation. But if that's the case, then our strategy for victory is the same as well. Prayer and the Word of God. Quoting the Word of God. Trusting the Word of God. Not allowing Satan to shake your confidence in the Word of God or in God himself. And so one of the other things in the Scripture that we read... Uh, was he offered them sort of an opportunity to forsake the Lord and to serve him. That's what he's doing. He's kind of trying to get them, get them to capitulate or give in. And again, 2 Kings 18 has more. I'm going to avoid reading much more of that because we're studying Second Chronicles. But again, read 2 Kings 18 and you'll see more of the narrative. But essentially there he tells them to cut a deal, make a concession, and compromise their faith. He suggests they don't have the support. They didn't have the ability to defend themselves. He actually said Egypt's chariots and horses wouldn't make any difference. And, of course, they weren't depending on chariots and horses from Egypt. But what did the Assyrians know? The enemy will pressure us to compromise and surrender. See, yes, he'll point to our weaknesses. Yes, he'll try to confuse us. But the third thing we're talking about now, he's going to try to pressure you to compromise. So, you know, all of this is about, oh, yeah, I am kind of weaker. Oh, yeah, you know what, well, maybe I can't trust the Lord. And then, well, maybe the best thing is for me to just compromise my faith. But you see how if you quote the Word of God and trust in the Word of God, none of these tactics work. Jesus proved that. And again, going back to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 4, notice when the enemy tried to pressure Jesus to compromise and surrender what Jesus did. Picking it up in Matthew 4, 8 and Again, you can check this out on your own, but I'll read it for you. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Boy, those are great words. Every time Satan gets you in a position where you're starting, you think, well, maybe if I just serve him a little, maybe if I just compromise a little, Just remember those words that Jesus quoted from the word of God. Worship the Lord your God. Serve him only. Don't try to compromise your faith in an attempt to avoid the attacks of the enemy. You will actually surrender to the enemy if you do. Too many people, too many pastors are surrendering to this woke agenda. And their reasoning is, well, we don't want to offend anybody. Their reasoning is, well, you know, if someone were to come in here, we don't want them to get the wrong impression, you know. 
That's satanic. Many of the churches that are failing right now are churches that compromise their values over the last two or three years. Gee, am I surprised? Satan got the victory, which breaks my heart. Because leaders and pastors were unwilling to stand up and say, oh, no, no, worship God and him only, not government. We're not going to respect these. We're not going to make compromises. We're not going to, you know, oh, well, we won't say this and we won't say that and we don't want to offend anybody. We'll fly this flag or we'll, we'll, you know, allow you to use your pronouns. And, you know, wait a minute. Oh, well, you know, Black Lives Matter. You know, like so many leaders bought into those compromises. I was and I'm not one of them. I I never have and I never will. I can tell you that. The, the, The reason that God continues to bless our fellowship is our leaders and all of you have you know, drawn a line in the sand and said, no, worship God and him only. Oh, what if, what if my God is greater than any of that nonsense? I'm sorry, my values are far more important than compromising for the sake of peace. You know, it's not that we need to be woke, we need to be awake. Too many people have gone to sleep. So, you know, it's interesting because I see many of those churches failing, and maybe they should. They abandoned God. God didn't abandon them. If they're not standing for the word of God and putting their confidence in him, well, Jesus did. When he went into that wilderness and Satan tempted him, listen, Satan will always try to get you to cut a deal, make a concession, and compromise your faith. That, that is really what he hopes to do. Oh, he'll tell you you don't have the support. He'll tell you you don't have anyone to be there for you. The enemy will pressure us to compromise and surrender, just like he tried with Jesus but failed. And I'll just read one little excerpt because I just, I mean, chapter 18 is, uh, of, of 2 Kings is a really a great chapter. And I've mentioned it a few times, but just two verses I want to read there. I can't resist. He says, come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. How can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? And then he goes on to say, furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without a word from the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Lies. And we'll get to that attack. Because let me tell you something. The devil will always claim to be serving the Lord, to promoting his will. And that's what we see there in chapter 18 of 2 Kings and verse 25. It's another type of attack. So we've looked at the attacks where he points to our weakness, tries to shake our confidence, you know, points, tries to confuse us shake our trust in the Lord, tries to get us to compromise and surrender. But look at this. He also claims to be serving the Lord and promoting his will. That's deception. When all else fails, the devil will try to deceive you. If you out and out won't compromise, then he's going to try to deceive you. You know, there were, um, there were some pastors that were very critical of churches that stayed open during the pandemic, said some things about us and to us that were really nasty and mean. I just want you to know I disassociated with some of the churches that I was, as a pastor, affiliated with because they refused to stand up for what was right. I didn't want to be associated or affiliated with those individuals anymore. But there were many churches that went to court and were sued. And by the way, were victorious because they were right. They were hoping that people would just bow, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And the plain of Shinar. They didn't bow. Everyone else did. 
in the end, they were proved right because God is faithful. Amen. You know, if you're trying to avoid the fiery furnace, let me tell you something. (laughs) That's not the goal. The goal is to stand and not bow. So what does the enemy say? He says, I don't want to destroy you. I want to save you. I'm trying to save you. And by the way, God is directing me to destroy you in judgment. And I'm trying to be nice. The Lord destroyed Israel for their sins. Why not Judah? But that's not what's happening in Judah. Israel was destroyed because they rejected God. Judah is trusting God. They're not going to be destroyed. But see how the devil lies? By the way, one of the things I've noticed in the last couple of years, there doesn't even seem to be a, an attempt on the part of our leaders to be truthful. I mean, there used to be the, the attempt to be truthful. They'd spin the truth. Now they just throw out the truth and lie, flat-out lie. We're not in a recession. I don't know who believes this stuff. Apparently, there's 30% of the people that still think that this bozo is doing a good job. 30, who are those 30% of the people? They have obviously bought the lie. I'm not one of them, and I'm not afraid to call it out. We are in a recession by every measure imaginable. And I'm not happy about it. But we're certainly not going to lie about it. You know, with the, the mask mandates and the vaccines and all this kind of, how did that work out, right? I've been saying that for years. How did all of that work out? It didn't work out. It was a lie. Even some of the people that lied are admitting they lied. Finally. I don't even know why they're admitting it. But they are. Maybe they're convicted. I don't know. But it didn't work and it didn't make a difference, obviously. People lie. They, have, they can't recognize the truth. And it's amazing to me when I consider this, you know, now they're lying about something. It's always lie, 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 lie. Where does that come from? We don't have to wonder who is the father of lies. When the devil has not been able to succeed in his other tactics, he resorts to flat out lies. Jesus told us that. Lies. Deception. He's the great deceiver. And what the devil will try to do is undermine our relationship with God by lying, by lying to us. And, I, you know, I know, I've seen through it. I think most of us have, and you just got to call it out. You just got to call it out. Well, another thing that the enemy did, and we can go back to our text in Second Chronicles, in verses 13 through 17, we read it already, but one of the things we saw there, he questioned the Lord's ability to deliver them from his hand. Uh, That's a very dangerous thing to do. You see, he questions the Lord's ability to protect his people. That's a big mistake. God can protect his people. Amen. Are we still here? Yeah, we are. He also sent a message of intimidation and letters to insult the king. All of this designed to get them to be deceived. And of course, that's another one of the tactics of the enemy. Deception. So we've seen a number of things. Uh, that the enemy still does today in trying to deceive us and have us question our, our, our God and our faith in him. One of the other things that he did, and, and they start to speak in Hebrew because now they want to divide the people. They're trying to divide the fellowship of the people of God. And we've seen this in our world today too. A lot of division, the stoking of division between uh, different ethnic groups and skin colors and all kinds of things, always trying to divide everybody, divide everybody. That's the devil. He gets some of his best victories by just starting a fight and then walking away and letting it happen, you know, and 
And we let it. We let it happen. So anyway, we read it already in, in verses 18 and 19 in our text. I'll turn back to our text. A little turning around here today in the scripture. But uh, one of the things we saw, <clears throat> they spoke in Hebrew to the people who were on the wall to terrify them and make them afraid in order to capture the city. They're hoping that one <clears throat> half of the people will fight against the other half of the people in order to bring down their confidence in God. And sometimes that's the strategy as well. So they questioned God's appointed leadership over the people. Hezekiah, certainly. Uh, they, spoke, they spoke in a language that the people could understand. They did. And they used pessimism and negativity to gain their attention, and they accused God's leaders of deception and, and using religion to manipulate them, and they basically said that the, that they would, the enemy was saying that they want to convince them of the truth, that they want to lead the people to safety. And it's a lie. Oh, we just want to lead you to safety. We just want, to, we just want you to be healthy. We, we don't want you to get a virus. We, we just want everybody to be fine. We want everybody to be okay. No, they don't. They really don't. How do I know that? Because it didn't happen. The goal wasn't that. The goal was to get you to compromise. To shut down our churches and make people afraid. Destroy our nation and our economy. It was satanic, and it still is. Thankfully, things are starting to turn around as people wake up from this slumber, some of them at least, and start to realize, wait a minute, I've been lied to for the last several years. Yeah, you were. You were. So, we were the conspiracy theorists, right? The ones knowing the truth. We were the conspiracy theorists, and now we know better. They were. So, the enemy will do that. Uh, the other thing the enemy did is they promoted rebellion against God's appointed leadership. If you read in 2 Kings chapter 18, they start to question Hezekiah. Uh, you don't follow Hezekiah. Hezekiah's lying to you. He, Hezekiah doesn't, you know, Hezekiah, oh, he's a terrible person. He sends mean tweets. See, they'll always go after the leaders that are trying to help you and make them look bad because they want leadership over you that will destroy you. This is satanic. Why don't we see this? It was true in Hezekiah's time. It's been true in our lifetime. And it continues to be true. The leaders that actually want to destroy us claim that the leaders who want to save us are trying to destroy us. You know that old theory, you know, whatever they say the other person is doing, they're actually doing? Oh, it's an insurrection. No, no the summer of love, it was the summer of peaceful protest. That was, an, that was not an insurrection. But one day on the calendar, January 6th, a couple of years ago, well, that... That was the worst thing that ever happened on the planet. Don't you see? Wake up, look, see what's going on in our world. The enemy hasn't changed at all. And what's even worse, his tactics are exactly the same. Why don't we see it? Well, because the eyes of those who don't know God are blind. They're blinded. And, and the people who know God allow themselves to compromise, and then they're blinded. And then there's us. There's us who can see it all. And it's frustrating, isn't it, when you can see it all and you... You look around and you think, what's wrong with people? Well, they've been deceived. They've been deceived. You know, Satan offers himself as a willing leader that can abundantly provide for us. Satan promises life in return for personal freedom. And that was what the Assyrians did. Give up your freedom, we'll offer you life. They use fear to motivate people to surrender. That's what was happening then. That's what's happening now. And the enemy will try to convince us that he wants to provide for us and protect us, but the exact opposite is true. 
Well, the people of Judah, I'm glad to say, trusted in the Lord and remained loyal to their king. And I'm going to read, uh, I lost my bookmark, but I'll, I'll find it here. In, in 2 Kings, in chapter 18, uh, I like this one portion of scripture, so I'm going to read it. It's in verses 36 and 37. It says there, But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded, Do not answer him. They just didn't listen. They just didn't listen. And it goes on to say, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Ahab, the recorder, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn. That is, they were, they were repenting and crying out to God. And they told them what the field commander had said. But to Hezekiah's credit, he disregarded the voice of the enemy. He wouldn't listen to the lies, the intimidation, the questioning, all of that. He, he just pushed it aside. He refused to buy what they were selling. And it's what made him a great leader. The people of Judah trusted in the Lord because their leader trusted in the Lord. And they remained loyal to the king. They didn't even respond to these messengers from the king of Assyria. They ignore them and follow the word of the king. So here's what I'm going to advise. All that stuff that they're saying, just ignore it and follow the word of God. What they say, ignore. It's lies. It's garbage. Just forget about it and just do the right thing. Trust God. The only acceptable, acceptable way to respond to the enemy is to resist him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's what James tells us, right? The leaders informed the king of the message from the king of Assyria, and they don't respond. They just return to the king in repentance. They look to God, and that is the only acceptable way to approach our king, that is in humility. So it's not about us trying to convince them that what they're saying isn't true. We just need to say, oh, that's a lie from the pit of hell, and we continue to believe and preach the truth. What are they going to do with that? Nothing. The devil can't do anything about that. They can come up with all these, oh, we're going to put a disinformation uh, group of people together, you know, some kind of a panel that's going to go out there and dispel the truth, and we'll call it disinformation or misinformation. Guess what? The truth is biting them in their behind. Because truth is truth, isn't it? Interesting. I love it. I love it. I love when God is victorious over the lies of the enemy. So I'm kind of celebrating right now. But anyway, it's going to get better. It's going to get even better. So, because God is faithful, amen? Or have you given up hope? Oh, no, the Assyrians are at the wall. The Assyrians are saying we can't trust God. The Assyrians are saying they're going to defeat it. No, 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 no. God is greater than all of that know that. Okay, just making a little application here. Well, what Hezekiah did is he responded to the message from the king of Assyria, and he did so by trusting in the Lord. That was his response. I wanna, I'm going to read a little Second Kings. I can't resist. Verse 1 of chapter 19 of Second Kings. We'll read a little bit of this, too. It's good stuff. So in Second Kings 19, you have a lot more of the uh, recorded quotes and things that the king said and the Assyrians said. So let's just look at this. It says that when King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. And he sent these individuals, Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth. That means they're crying out to God in repentance. To the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. So God provided them one of the greatest prophets of all time at a time 
that the nation needed it. Is that possible? Yeah, of course it is. God can do all things. So they told him, this is what Hezekiah says, this day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the point of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. And then when King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, I like this, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, I am going to put such a spirit in him that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country and there I will have him cut down with the sword. Who's in control? See, I actually get up every morning and I read the newspaper and I say, is this the day? Lord, is this the day you're going to cut our enemies down with the sword? I expect it. Sometimes I don't check the news, and then I'm like, oh, I haven't checked to see if the Lord cut down our enemies with the sword yet. And then I check, and sure enough, one of them usually puts their foot in their mouth or takes out another one. It's, all, it's, it's just a beautiful thing to see God do his best work in times of quote-unquote distress. Yeah, these are times of distress, but our God is greater. Our God is greater than the world and all that's in it. The enemy cannot stand when we put our trust in him. See, I think what happened, the revival of Hezekiah is a picture of what we need, hopefully will, experience in our nation, where things become so dark and we just say, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to trust God. Do your best. Your best can't come close to God's best. Well, anyway, uh, that's enough. That's all I wanted to read from there. I just had to read that because I like what the prophet Isaiah said to them, and that that was pretty cool. So, actually, I'm going to move this bookmark so that doesn't happen again. There we go. Okay, back to Second Chronicles. Uh, it's so important that we learn from these experiences of God's people. He chose, the king chose to resist the enemy through repentance. I've been saying this to you for weeks. We need to pray in repentance for our nation. Oh, but I don't believe in abortion. I don't believe it's right. I don't believe in transgenderism. Yeah, well, neither do I, but we can pray for our nation because our nation seems to have embraced some of these wicked things, and we need to pray in repentance on their behalf in the presence of the Lord. He sought and received the direction of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. We have the book of Isaiah, and more than the book of Isaiah, and we have the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? He humbly asked Isaiah to pray for the kingdom of Judah in their distress. So prayer is the answer. Repentance is the answer. Trusting God and his word is the answer. The Lord encouraged him through the prophet Isaiah. And notice what Isaiah said to him. Do not fear the words of the enemy. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? We're going to have a food shortage. People are talking to me about food shortages. Maybe we will. But I don't know. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread, according to Psalm 37. So I'm going to trust God. Okay. God is sovereign over the enemy's plans. You know that, right? God will destroy the enemy in his time. Again, I check the news every morning for that. Some of it started to happen. I think we have to wait a little longer, but it will happen. Maybe in the fall. Well, the king of Assyria again used his officials to intimidate Hezekiah in the kingdom of Judah. And again, I'm not going to read it, but in verses 8 through 13, you can read some of the nasty things they said and did, but... 
One of the things that comes out about the king of Assyria, he was completely unaware that the Lord is sovereign over all of his plans. He just didn't understand that. And his repeated threats were empty and without truth or power. And just understand that. They can lie and say these things, but we know they're not true, and we know that God is greater than the lies of the enemy. So Hezekiah then again responded to a message from the king of Assyria by trusting the Lord. In verse 20 of our text in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, it says, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. See, that's what you really need to be doing right now. Crying out in prayer to heaven about this. What's this? Whatever we see in our world that the enemy is trying to do, that's how we become victorious through prayer. And we'll see that that happens in a number of ways uh, as we continue in this study. Okay, so let's see. Where are we? Uh, One of the things that I I do want to kind of look at here Hezekiah, when he chose to resist the enemy through prayer in the presence of the Lord, in 2 Kings chapter 19, we see that he humbly brought the Assyrian letter before the Lord, literally brought it before the Lord, and prayed for the Lord to deliver them from the Assyrians. Again, you can read this in 2 Kings 19. He received through prayer the direction of the word of the Lord, and it came through the prophet Isaiah. The Lord heard his prayer and responded to him through his word. The Lord had heard the voice of the enemy against them in his holy name. God knew what was going on. And we know the Lord is sovereign over the whole earth and over all of his enemies, and God told them that. And then the Lord confirmed his faithful word to them through signs of his provision. And then the Lord encouraged them with messages of hope and promises of protection. And all of this came through Isaiah. It's recorded in 2 Kings 19. And what happened? Well, the Lord delivered Judah from the threat of the king of Assyria. And this happened again in 701 BC. Let's read on in verses 21 through 23 of our text in 2 Chronicles. This is a summary. A longer version of it is in 2 Kings, but we'll read the summary. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the leaders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. So he withdrew to his own land in disgrace. And when he went into the temple of his God, some of his sons cut him down with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others. He took care of them on every side. Many brought offerings to Jerusalem for the Lord and valuable gifts for Hezekiah, king of Judah. And from then on, he was highly regarded by all the nations. And we're waiting to see this at this level in our own world and in our own nation. I hear a lot of, ooh, China's going to destroy us, and Russia's going to destroy us, and Iran is going to destroy us, and, you know, North Korea is going to, everybody's going to destroy us. That may be true. But if God is protecting us, if God is for us, who can be against us? See, I don't fear man. I, I, I fear God. And listen, if God chooses to judge the United States of America for our many sins, then that will happen. But you know what? There are lots of people praying that God would save us. And does God answer prayer? Can I hear an amen? So I expect our enemies to be destroyed. And again, I read the newspaper every morning waiting for it to happen, whether it be our foreign enemies or our domestic enemies. God can do it. I know he can. I know he will. So with that as our close, the Lord did deliver Judah from the threat of the king of Assyria. 
What we do know from 2 Kings is that he sent an angel of the Lord who put to death, and we're told in 2 Kings, 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Wiped them out. Pretty cool, right? This included all the fighting men, all the leaders, and the officers in the camp. They're all wiped out in one night. The next morning, the people go out, and they find the camps filled with dead bodies. The king of Assyria was forced to withdraw from Jerusalem. Oh, I'll say so. He was forced to withdraw in disgrace and return to Nineveh, which is what he did. And listen, the Lord can deliver us from our enemies just as quickly through the power of prayer. Satan's forces will one day be destroyed in an instant by Christ's coming, according to Revelation 19. But that could also happen today. The king of Assyria, we're told, was cut down with the sword. That's interesting. That didn't happen until 681 BC, so it took some time, but it did happen. He was cut down with the sword, just as the Lord predicted. What we're told is that he worshipped this god Nisroch, which was a great eagle. And it was represented by an eagle-headed figure. And he's worshipping this false god. And into this temple comes his sons, Adramalek and Sharezer. And it's interesting, their names mean the power of the king, Adramalek, and Sharezer means protect the king. Well, he was neither powerful nor protected from the Lord's judgment. Because they actually came in, his own sons, and struck him down, just as God told Hezekiah through the prophet Isaiah. Now notice it didn't happen right away. It took 20 years, but it did happen. He was struck down and destroyed. And he was succeeded by another son, Eshardon, uh, Eshardon um, after his brothers fled to Arafat, Arafat. Those other brothers flee, and the other son takes over the kingdom, we're told. And Satan will one day be struck down and destroyed by Christ's command. We look forward to that day. So the Lord established the kingdom of Judah and Hezekiah as its king. And we've read that already. He saved them from their enemies, all their enemies. The Lord blessed and protected them. It says that he gave them rest. That's the greatest blessing in the Hebrew mind, rest. He gave them rest. He blessed them and protected them. And he abundantly provided for them through the surrounding peoples. They brought tribute. And the Lord elevated them before the whole earth. And of course, the Lord will one day create a new Jerusalem for us as well. So this will happen in our future when the Lord returns, but it may happen before then as well. The point is we trust in God. Amen? And uh, like I said, it's a longer study in Second Kings. There's so much to read about it, but just in this summary, you learn the truth, and I've shared with you the truth of all Scripture. Hezekiah was a great example. I encourage you to study it further. What we'll do is we'll finish up the reign of Hezekiah next week when we look at some of the things that happened later in his life. But in this, we see that Hezekiah trusted God, and God was faithful. We need to do likewise. Let's trust God together. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, increase our faith and trust in you. Help us, Lord, to be able to give our hearts to you, but also take all of the things that trouble us and bother us, and all the lies of the enemy and the questioning of the enemy, and bring it before you the way that Hezekiah took that letter from the enemy and laid it out before the Lord, before you. Speak to us as you did through Isaiah, encouraging us. Thank you for speaking us, speaking this to us tonight, that we might trust you and look for your deliverance in all things. Lord, we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.